Well, good evening, good morning, good whatever time of day it is where you're listening to this. Welcome to Voice of Reason Radio. This is Chris Honholtz and Richard Story joining you on April 23rd, 2022. My goodness, we're almost five, we're almost into the fifth month of the year already. This year is just screaming by. Really uh, appreciate you guys joining and being with us. Uh, we're going to try to shorten up our intro this morning, uh, this particular week because this particular uh, topic is going to take a little while. We're going to ask you for a little bit of patience, but I just want to put a couple of things out there. want to remind you, we are always, uh, we always like to make a note of this. We're part of the Christian podcast community. That is a uh, conglomeration of multiple uh, Christian podcasts that have solid content. We always encourage you to go check it out. You're always going to find something really great in there. In addition to that, we want you to remember to check out our website, slavetothekeng.com. That's where you can get a hold of us. That's where you can find our social media, our support links, and where you can find merchandise for the program, which right now consists of a t-shirt, but hey, it's a nice t-shirt. But we, uh, we always want you to check that out and get signed up as a follower on that. We would really appreciate you guys checking that out. And we always uh, encourage you to contact us if you have questions, comments, concerns, or even complaints. As long as your complaints are being brought in a biblical manner, you uh, ixnay on the airing sway, as Todd Friel would put it, and uh, you keep your arguments in a contextually biblical manner, we would love to hear from you. Um, so that being said, I'm going to keep that really, really short tonight because we're going to be uh, at this for a little bit. How you doing this week, Rich? Oh, as always, brother, better than I deserve. And I just realized something. Um, this is our very, very last episode of year five. Oh my we will goodness. be. Yeah, Lord, you're right. Lord, Lord willing, we will be back. And I'm excited. Excited. Oh, yeah. I can't, I can't, I can't tell why, but <laughs> I am so excited about the first episode of season six, year six. <laughs> And Lord willing, it will drop maybe Thursday or Friday of this week. Yep. But I'm so excited. It's 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 a recording. I I may have I may be looking forward to this one more than possibly <laughs> any of the others that we've done. But yeah. No. I, I'll, I'm I'll just, re- I'm real. I'm with you on that one, brother. I'm with you on that one. <laughs> I'll just leave that hanging out there. But this is our. We've been doing this now. This is and it's almost to the date. This will be the last episode of, of five years, I guess, since everyone else is doing it. We'll do it, too. Season five, our last episode, and the next time it will be season six, episode one, with some <laughs> very, very special blank. <laughs> Ooh, he's good at the radio tease. Yeah, my goodness, six years. You're right. This it, this did, does represent six years of recording on the air. God has been far too gracious to us. Five. Well, no, no six. six years. We've been we've been recording for six, six years. years, and so oh, good grief! I, yeah. I messed all that up. We're starting season seven. I'm a year behind. I need to go well, back to bed. That's okay. I lost we, an entire year. Well, we all did. It was called COVID, so <laughs> we're all mixed up. But uh, no, and and what's what's amazing about this is this this particular episode is going to, folks, you're going to have to sit down and be patient with us and work through some stuff with us. What a way to end six years of recording. What is now becoming one of the biggest kind of blow-ups on social media, but not just a social media issue. It is a Southern Baptist Convention issue, 
and not just a Southern Baptist Convention issue, but an ex, uh, an exposure of what's going on under the surface and why the upcoming convention is so very, very important. Now, there's a lot of people who are uh, covering the details of this, so we're going to do a really short kind of intro as far as why we're covering the bulk on, uh, on, on, on another aspect of this entire discussion. And the, what we're going to do is, if you have not, if you if you have not followed this on social media, be grateful. It's been a nightmare to follow. Um, but I'm going to give you the short and condensed version. I want Rich, you're going to have you follow me on this one because there are some thoughts that you have. I want people to think about why this is important, and then we're going to get into the main meat of the discussion. So the 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 Cliff's Notes version. A man I consider a friend. I, I don't. I don't know how he feels toward me. I think at least he, an acquaintance, <laughs> but I consider a friend. Uh, Tom Buck, who is pastor, pa, uh, the pastor of First Baptist Church Lindale in Texas, and his wife Jennifer Buck, are the subject of an ongoing scandal within the SBC. Though so much not upon the scandal is not so much them as what is happening to them within the SBC. So super short Cliff Notes version. I am going to leave you a couple of links to I want you to go check out with regard to this. Please, this is this is actual homework. Okay. I'm this program, you are going to have to do homework. Please. Do do not just take what we say at face value. Because if you do, you're going to violate everything we talk about in the rest of the episode. And I'm being serious. That's not meant to be a joke. I'm being serious. So the Cliff's Notes version, you can actually find the timeline of events on a, uh, on the Servants and Heralds webpage, and it has to do with what is going on with Tom Buck and his wife Jennifer. So Cliff Notes version is uh, just a couple weeks, three weeks ago now, Jennifer Buck released an article through G3 Ministries about the early years of she and Tom's marriage, the first five years, where she and apparently this is something that both she and Tom have spoken about multiple times in counseling people in talking to people in the church etc as way uh, as a way of showing God's work in a marriage the first five years of their marriage was very difficult Tom admittedly had an anger problem uh, said said uh, things to his wife that he should not have said and it culminated in at one point where playfully she had put a a cold soda can to the back of his neck he got upset and smacked her on the hand now, what you're going to hear on the internet is Tom is an abuser and that Jennifer Buck is a, is a survivor of abuse and it's going to sound absolutely horrendous. And by the way, I'm not minimizing. Verbal abuse, mental abuse is a serious issue. Okay? Tom and Jennifer, they have a video. In fact, i got to make sure I put that in the show links. They have a video explaining why they released this article and why things went the way they did. They do not minimize it. But I want you to understand that Tom was not some sort of raging monster that beat his wife. Okay. So when you hear people talk about Tom Buck and they talk about abuse and you see those comments online, that's what the the, the actual events were during those first five years. It was a very difficult time for both of them, especially for Jennifer. And there were times when Jennifer looked at it and said, if this doesn't get better, I'm out. Okay. She admits that. So the timeline of events is that happened three weeks ago. This article came out. The article talks about the the uh, the counseling that they received from fellow Christians, how uh, Tom repented of his sinful behavior, how it strengthened their marriage, and how God used that. 
as a means of unifying them, strengthening them, and becoming a picture of restoration and repentance in a marriage. Beautiful article. If you haven't read it, you really need to. I'll make sure to put that one in the show notes too. I got uh, I got to pull it up on the. T- I don't have it on my tabs. How dare I not have it on my tab? Um, so that is what happened. That's what started this. Following that, and what we're going to talk about tonight, is a pseudo-journalistic website by the name of Baptist News Global. Short time later, dropped its article. And it is a clear attempt to make a hit piece on Tom Buck by framing him in the worst possible light, but hiding behind, oh, we're just reporting facts. And I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to make a case tonight and, and I've had people take a look at this, and I, I genuinely believe what I've put together makes a case that it, this was a hit piece. And I'm going to explain why. That's going to be what we're going to talk about in the bulk of this program. But the timeline of events is that this article had a beginning. It went back to 2018. In 2018, they were looking to write, uh, release this article because they wanted to. Sh- they saw what was going on with the Me Too and the cancel movement, and how if you're labeled an abuser, how that there's you're completely canceled. There's no forgiveness, etc. They wanted an article that showed what that happened in their own marriage that gives hope and restoration through Christ. Went to of all people, they went to Karen Swallow Pryor from SEBTS. We're going to have her help edit the article. It has additional material in it, which we're going to get into. Karen ends up later in an accident, and I think some of you guys remember this. It was a pretty bad accident. She wasn't able to help. She makes a, uh, she is, mind you, the only person who has the article besides Jennifer and Tom. Karen Swallow Pryor is the only person who has this article. It goes to her. That's as far as they ever uh, wanted it to go. They never gave it to anybody else. Jennifer is referred to uh, Jackie King with SBC Voices, uh, one of the uh, the SBC online blogging news uh, sites, that Jackie King might be able to help you. Jackie's never given the article by the Bucks, and as far as anyone knows, not given by Karen either. Jackie doesn't do any editing on the article. She suggests that Jennifer make her own edits and send it to her, and it kind of dies there. Fast forward to 2022, and again, super Cliff Notes version. I please go check out this Servants and Heralds article, which we'll have in its notes, much more detailed. 2022, Tom Buck learns that um, a man he knew about that had a history with sexual issues uh, is a deacon in Willie Rice's church. Willie Rice at that time was nominated to run as uh the president for SBC in succession of the current Ed Linton. And he goes, the, and, and um, a statement released by the FBC eldership explains why they did it, but he goes to um, the uh, Willie directly because he knows this individual and he knows this guy's sexual issues and he was actually someone that led him to make like the right choice and confess it back when it happened and 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 uh, and and that kind of information, he learns that this person is now a deacon in Willie Rice's church. Someone with that sexual past probably shouldn't be in a position of a deacon in a position where he could potentially be tempted to sin again. So he privately goes to Willie Rice and says, "Hey, um, you might I might have a concern here. You guys m- might want to be a little bit concerned about this person's position." So. Willie Rice says, okay, I'm, 
I'm going to get some advice from some people I value in the convention leadership, figure out what to do. He later comes back and, uh, and says, Hey, appreciate Tom that you coming to me the way you did, did it the right way. I really, I'm really grateful. We're, we're going to address this. Well, following immediately that within days of that is when Willie Rice, and, and I think a lot of you guys that were, have been paying attention to what's going on within the, this, this presidential run for the SBC president have been paying attention to Willie Rice suddenly exploded as having this terrible person as a, as a deacon. And now he's got to dismiss him. And, and Willie Rice starts characterizing that the people who brought it to his attention were trying to score points against him for political purposes. None of which was why Tom came to him. Tom came to him privately. Now, one of the things that the first Baptist church, Lindell elders statement, which later came out about this says is that that this was all done via Zoom meetings, and by everybody's agreement, it was all recorded. Now, that's just that's just wisdom. You you know, you're recording these conversations so that people can't say, "Well, you said this or you said that." It's just making sure that we're all keeping ourselves accountable. Well, with all this going on, somebody starts messaging Tom and 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 has online attacks on him with these kind of secretive. Uh, social media posts, Twitter and stuff, accusing him of abusing his wife. Somebody contacts him and says, if you release those videos that you have of Willie Rice, we're going to make this article, this rough draft that you're, of your wife's article public. And suddenly it's like, wait a minute, what do you mean the rough draft is in somebody else's hands? What do you mean it's going to go public? And that's exactly what happened. Someone within people within the SBC and the timeline of events kind of explain what happened, as does the statement from the FBC elders. What the Bucks later found out is that the only person they gave it to was Karen Swallow Pryor. Nobody is saying who or how it went from Karen to someone else within the SBC. Draw your own conclusions. Um, so I'm not making claims. I'm just telling you it went from her and somehow other people had it. What ends up happening is the result of that is that now somebody has the rough draft. The rough draft is the rough draft. It has information that they wanted Karen Swallow prior to look at and help them advise on a better, the best way to present it, what needed to be there, what didn't need to be there to make the article understandable. What happens is as a result of all of this, now people within the SBC, what sounds like people with some pull, are threatening Tom and Jennifer to drop this rough draft, which they, and mind you, the the final draft hadn't been published yet. I should have clarified that. Fine, this is all happening before the final draft that G3 Ministries has gets published. Now they go to Karen. She's gonna uh, she in their discussion with her, she says that somebody did come to her to verify that that rough draft was legitimate, but she wasn't going to verify it. They ask who asked you that that uh, you know that first they she won't answer how it got out of her hands. Secondly, they said, well, who's asking you to verify it? She won't give the name. They go to her boss, Danny Aiken, president of the, of the university, or SEBTS. He says he's upset that she's saying what she said. He's going to get to the bottom of it. But later comes back and said, well, she's not going to say. And we're, we're dealing with it. And that should solve it for you. Well, of course, it didn't solve it. In the meantime... What, we're, what Tom and Jennifer learn is that it hasn't just gone to a couple of people there. Actually, somebody passes information to them that, that someone has this rough draft and is shopping for some media outlet to carry it. 
there's actually somebody going out and trying to say, we've got a rough draft that makes Tom look like an abuser. We want you guys to carry the story. So now it's getting more and more concerning. So what ends up uh, happening in the midst of all of this, because nobody wants to tell the truth and say who has it and why and how is it getting sh uh, shipped around, some people are saying privately, yes, we're, we're, we're terribly uh, sorry about this, but nobody is really helping them. <clears throat> so Jennifer and Tom decide they're going to release a final draft of the article because this is their story to tell. And they have a great video explaining this, and I'll share that in the show links as well. It's their story to tell, and they're not going to be have, allow somebody to use it as an attack against Tom because he's an outspoken Christian. And he, he typically makes statements publicly opposing much of the uh, SBC leadership that's leading it, in his opinion, in the wrong direction. I tend to agree with this position. So they released their, their, her article. And it's a beautiful argue, article. You really need to read it. Well, within days of that, those who were shopping for a media outlet found it. And this is where Baptist News Global enters the picture. Baptist News Global uh, on the, I believe it's April 11th. Let me see. I want to make sure I'm saying it right. April 11th of uh, just earlier this month under the name of David Bumgardner. And um, from what I can tell, David, David Bumgardner's claim to fame is the one, he was the one who stood at the mic and said, can somebody please do something about the air conditioning here? And everybody said hallelujah at the uh, SBC convention last year. That's his big claim to fame. But now he's no longer... Southern Baptist, but he writes for Southern Baptist uh, so, pseudo news website called Baptist News Global. He's now Anglican, so why is he writing for them? I don't know. I, Go ahead, brother. Uh, I, I just want to interrupt. Nothing that I've read on their about page or anything else from Baptist News Global do they ever claim to be Southern Baptist. It's yeah. just Baptist News Global. I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah, no, and thank you. I appreciate that. So why he, but again, why is he writing him for a Baptist? We, we don't know. So he writes this article and it comes out and Twitter explodes. And I'm not kidding when I say it explodes. This article comes out and we're going to take some time tonight to go through this because what David Bumgarner and his own editor have tried to hide behind is, hey, we are not, this was not a hit piece. We are simply reporting the facts. I can tell you as somebody who has spent 23 years of a career writing reports, I understand what it means to report the facts. For someone who is a, a bibliophile, somebody who likes to read, I also know what it means to write the facts in such a way to lead your readers to a predetermined conclusion, and that's exactly what David Bumgarner did, and we'll go through that. He wrote an article guaranteed to gain a particular reaction. It's exactly what he did, and it was done for that reason, to make Tom Buck look bad and to raise questions about him and his, and his ability to be in ministry. This was a shot across the bow at Tom Buck, no question. I'm telling you up front, I've read this a couple of times. I've I've looked through it. I've sat down and made notes about it. We're going to go over that tonight. This was a shot at Tom Buck. No question. But as I said before, you do the work. Don't take my word for it. Don't take Rich's word for it. Do the homework because I'm going to show you when you don't do the homework how you can be led in the wrong direction. So don't take what we say for gospel. Do some work. I'm giving you homework tonight. So that's where this thing blew up. And now everybody starts, it starts coming out to light 
what has happened that Karen had the rough draft she's not saying where where it went and who, and who's asking who's asking her to verify it um Danny Aiken's not really helping uh Tom Buck has gone to the folks over at SBC Voices turns out one of the individuals at SBC Voices while they were while SBC Voices was denying ever having handed it off which I don't think they did um one of the people at SBC Voices did have it sent to him and he lied about knowing who that individual was. And he admits that to Tom and that's admitted online. Tom Askell has the screenshot where he admits lying. That individual, uh, his, uh, Todd Benkirk, his social media went complete dark. He went silent running after he admitted he lied. Later, it comes out, um, that Danny Aiken, it, uh, you know, basically says the person who was trying to verify with Karen that the rough draft was legitimate is this individual by the name of Keith Whitfield. Keith Whitfield is a provost over at SEBTS. So you've got three people within SEBTS who know something about this article and know that it's being shopped around and knew that Karen Swallow Pryor could verify that it was legitimate. So that means people within SEBTS knew. And you have people within SBC Voices who know who are who's handing it around and who have lied about it. So... That's what this, that's the, the kind of Cliff Notes version. And I know I went through that really, really fast. Okay. And there may be going, I don't understand what you just said. I get it. That's a lot of details. Again, Servants and, uh, Servants and Heralds, I'm going to put it in the, uh, in the, um, in the link, has the timeline of events. Statement from the FBC elders, which is Tom's church, also has a timeline of events. Please do some homework. Okay, this is important. This is going on within the SBC and it's impacting a pastor of a local church who just happens to be very outspoken against the direction the SBC is headed. So Rich, before we dive into this article, you and I were talking about why this, this issue happening within the SBC is really important. Because I know there are people that actually came to me on... Uh, you know, on public statements online or like, why are we even being kind of like a, why are we being concerned about this? It sounds like a lot of Christians being involved in something that doesn't need to be involved in, but this is actually pretty important. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely brother. And you did an excellent job running, doing a review of the timeline of everything that's transpired since 2018 and, and how we got to where we are today. But the problem did not just happen and the problem and the issue is not just tom and jennifer buck and it's not just this article but it paints a overall picture it paints a portrait of sin rather than christ and these are issues that have been going on deep within the sbc for over a decade if not longer and we're seeing the evidences of the fruit or the bad fruit that has taking root within the SBC, and I'll hand it back over to you in just a little bit, and just for the listeners, Chris is going to deconstruct the <laughs> attempted demolition piece by the Baptist News Global, BNG, or actually, in my opinion, what it should be known by as the Gay Baptist News Network, because they write as many pro-gay and homosexual embracing articles as they do anything else, but anyway... Um, and as you were alluding to in your review, you know, this article was even sanctioned by certain leaders within the SBC. 
And it leads us to beg the question, with all this going on, we should be asking, well, the question which should be asked isn't how to change the direction of the SBC, but is the SBC even worth saving? Because the true downgrade controversy in the SBC isn't declining numbers in membership or baptisms, but the dumbing down and declining view of Christ. And I just want to point out, in 2,000 years of Christianity, no generation has faced what we're seeing. We're seeing professing churches celebrating and embracing a sin the Bible condemns, the sin, the sin of sexual immorality. And we're living this out from Romans 132. They not only do them, but give approval, approval to those who practice them. Go and read all of chapter 1 of Romans for the full context of that verse. But I truly believe we're watching that play out. We're seeing people give approval to those who practice sin, and they're celebrating that sin. And there are factions in the convention calling for support of the LGBTQ movement. And when those engulfed with sin feel comfortable sitting under preaching and being considered part of the body of Christ, those churches and pastors have failed the word of God and taint the purity of the gospel with doctrines of demons. And sadly, this is the fruit of some of that. We're seeing people embracing sin and they're so in love with sin and so in love with the world that they are vehemently attacking men who firmly stand on the word of God. And I'm, I'm talking about men like Tom Buck because I don't know Tom. I very rarely have ever interacted with him. I know you know him, Chris, but I truly believe Tom is a true man of God who will stand boldly on the word of God. And they hate that. Mm -hmm. And these pastors and teachers and leaders within the SBC, I have a question. If Christ and everything, excuse me, if Christ and every teaching and truth of the Bible is not the topic that suits you best, then we must question your Christianity. The more of the world that is exhibited, the more sin abounds. But the more Christ of the Bible is preached, the more will the church prove and exhibit and assert and maintain her unity, but the less Christ is preached and the more of Paul and Apollos and Cephas, the more strife and division there will be and less of true Christian fellowship, meaning the more that we say, I follow Paul, I follow Christ, I follow Cephas. And in the context of the SBC, I follow this man, this man, this man, or this man, there's going to be division when the central focus is not of Christ. And sadly, the Great Commission has become the great omission by most of the SBC pastors. When is the last time, and I'm asking you, Chris, this, and I'm asking the listeners, when is the last time you read or heard any of them focusing on the command and responsibility of every member in regards to individual evangelism? And the evangelism decrees by Christ to go forth have been traded to donate so we can send others. Mm-hmm. We should be doing both. They have traded that individual command of evangelism to donate to the International Missions Board, donate to the NAMB so we can send these people out, and have completely thrown out the individual commands of evangelism and to live a life of holiness by its members, telling them, well, you don't have to do this. Just donate, and we'll, we'll take care of it for you. And, and I'm, I'm fixing the backhand slap both sides because disturbingly, no matter which side of the fight you examine, whether it's the liberal, conservative, or whatever label you want to put on it, 
the vast majority of those considered leaders and even their churches have no biblical way of salvation proclaimed on their websites. But you can find endless articles battling the subjects of the day, which are vanity in the flesh. But without unleashing the sword of the word and proclaiming the way of life, all these efforts fall short of eternity. And you know, honestly, I have not gone through every church website and every person's website and every ministry's website, but I can tell you I took a sample look at both sides, those that would be considered conservative and liberal, and sadly— when and if a gospel proclamation is actually found, it's either buried so deep within the website, no one would on purpose find it or very rarely accidentally come mm-hmm. across it, much less having it boldly and prominently located on their header bar. But when you do find one, it's so watered down that it completely takes the power of the gospel out of the message and reduces it to, well, if you recite this prayer and really mean it, let us know, and, and we'd like to connect with you. And that's basically the sum of what I actually I have found. Now, of course, there are exceptions, and I'm not saying this applies to everyone, but I am saying that there are leaders on both sides of the aisle that do not have a clear and precise gospel presentation anywhere on their website. And in today's age, you are tragically neglecting a very useful tool and utilization of your website. And like I said, you can find countless articles discussing and battling the topics of the day, but that just goes to show the lack of focus and lack of attention that has been given to the actual gospel of Jesus Christ. We become more enamored and more concerned with the fighting and the topic talking points of the day that we have lost focus and lost sight on focusing entirely on Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. But, Amen. and sadly, going beyond that, the SBC as a whole has not become gospel or Christ light, but Christ less. Thus, my reference back to the lack of the talking about Jesus Christ and the gospel and the truth of the Bible. And sadly, most of the divisions within the SBC are not over doctrine or interpretations of Scripture. But worldly politics, ideology, social justice, and how to let the world into the midst of the church. And it's not divided over scripture, but the teachings of demons. Biblical fidelity has degraded to the point where many of the leaders within the SBC are so comfortable in sin, they will feel at home in hell. And I will stand by that comment Mm -hmm. to my dying breath. There are pastors and teachers in the SBC that are so comfortable in sin that they will feel at home in hell. And today, within the denomination, we have hyper-Armenians, hyper-Calvinists, hyper-Reformists, and everything in between. What we need are hyper-Gospelers, hyper-Christians. The SBC needs men who shall shake it. The SBC needs men who will shake it and waken it out of its sleep. It needs a new race of Whitfields and Spurgeons. The denomination needs some sons of thunder who will boldly proclaim the Word of God, some men who will be like lightning in carrying out their holy mission. It needs men who will preach the truth and tell it to poor men and to rich men also. And if ever we are to get these, it must be an answer to prayer. Oh, that we would but pray for such men, and having got them, pray that God would make them full of himself, for they cannot run over with blessings to others until they are full of blessing themselves. And just for full disclosure, some of the comments I just made, I paraphrase from some sermons of of Spurgeon, but I I stand by them and I think they apply. 
Now, Chris, I'm going to hand it over to you and let you start going through and, and dismantle this supposed, <laughs> quote-unquote, journalistic piece written by this, I will say young man, but in <laughs> actuality, he's a very young boy because he's barely wet behind the ears. And best I can tell, based on things I've read, he's about 21 or 22 years old. Yeah. So with that being said, I'll hand it over to you, brother. Oh, thank you, brother, and I appreciate it. And I actually, I echo your sentiments. Now, as we get into this, there's a reason why we're talking about this article. I said this earlier. Anybody can say, I'm just reporting the facts. Well, just reporting the facts is, here's a list of stuff. That's facts. When you paint, when you write an article... You're attempting to persuade everybody, every, everything you write. When we do a podcast, we're attempting to persuade you of something. It's, you know, for someone to say, we're just simply reporting the facts. That's, I'm sorry, you're not going to be able to do that. I, 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 I would even call out Fox News. We report, you decide. I disagree. Fox News, I joke about them as being the Jerry Springer Network because all they do is bring everybody on and they get into arguments. And, but they're trying to persuade you of something. So there's little question in my mind that David Bumgarner had a particular bent of what he was trying to convey with this article. I don't care what David Bumgarner claims in his statements. And by the way, I'll give you links. Um, Janet Mefford, former journalist, Christian journalist, knows a thing or two about journalism. Has I'll, I'll put the links that she's put up. She actually has like a dozen questions specifically for David Bumgarner, which were encouraging to me because the questions I see her asking him directly, though I doubt he'll ever respond, echo the sentiments that I saw reading this article, which meant I believe Rich and I are on the right track when we look at his article and go, this was a mess and this was intentional. But he's also written a, a, his quote-unquote final statement. Now, if you try to go look up David Bumgarner on Twitter, good luck. It seems prior to the release of this article, David Bumgarner managed to block just about three quarters of Twitter. Most of us have never interacted with David Bumgarner. People went to look him up and went, why am I blocked by this person? Uh, so it seems prior to the release of this article, I don't know if he used an internet tool to do so. I don't know if he literally just took the time and looked down uh, Tom Buck's list and went block, block, block. I, I don't know how he quite did it, but he blocked a lot of people who have never heard of him and never interacted with him. I, I talked with uh, with some folks, and they're like, I've never heard of him or Baptist News Global prior to this. Why am I blocked? So good luck trying to find him. Janet Mefford, on the other hand, praise God for her work. <laughs> um, if you find yourself blocked, you can't read his final statement, as he puts it. She's got it screenshotted. And it, and then she has following that a list of uh, a list of questions for him. So I will I will sh put those in the show notes. But if you can get to David Bumgarner's Twitter page, which I have more than one Twitter account, <laughs> so uh, I was able to do that. What you will find is following the dropping of this article, immediately following the dropping of this article, David was retweeting. I I. I I'm hesitant to use this phrasing because I know it's going to sound, it come across as being a loaded weapon, but I don't intend it to be. It was the persons, well-known persons within the quote-unquote survivor community 
sharing this particular article, talking about how Tom was an abuser. Tom should not be in uh, in uh, his ministry, and he needed to step down, etc. Now, mind you, these aren't individuals responding to uh, to David's article, and I went and looked for all the comments. I didn't have to do that. David kindly retweeted them. David was not retweeting objections to his article, probably because he'd blocked most of the people that were raising objections, but he was retweeting people who think that Tom Buck needed to step down. In addition to that, David was posting comments to the effect of, uh, if a person has any kind of abuse in their history as a Christian, then they should never be in ministry, etc., Again, these are David's tweets. If you can go to, if you if you can get, and by the way, it, you if you know how, it's really easy to go get to bypass uh, the block. It's called Google Incognito mode. You just go to Google Incognito, drop the link in, and you can read what you've been blocked from. <laughs> Seems a lot of people don't understand that. <laughs> it's, it's it's really easy to do. I can thank James White for pointing that one out to me. So. Um, but you will find that he has posted these things. It's really easy to find. He's made it. These are public statements of his. I don't have to mischaracterize anything about David Bumgarner. David Bumgarner is very clear on his uh, what he's sharing online. So, with that said, we're going to go into this article. We're not going to go by line by line, and I'm loath to even have to put it online because I don't like giving their site the clicks. But. I want to do what David isn't doing. I want to be transparent. And so I'm going to put it there and I want you to look at it and I want you to do the homework and think when you read something, you have to ask questions. We as Christians and and as uh, Americans and consumers on the internet, we consume. We consume data. We don't ask questions of it. I got to spend time finishing it, but I've gone through a few chapters of how to read a book. It's an actual book that tells you how to actually read and digest the book. One of the things they tell you to do is ask questions of what you're reading. We don't do this enough. We read and we react. We we just consume and we, we regurgitate. We don't ask questions. I'm giving you homework. You're going to read this article and you're going to ask the questions. Look for what's there. Look for what's not there. Ask why he included certain information, why he excluded other information. Especially as you go through the FBC elder statement, yes, I want you to read it. Especially as you go through the Servants and Heralds article, yes, I want you to read it. I want you to compare what David left out with what he did post. I want you to make notice of who he talked to or didn't talk to. I want you to make note of things that he said that don't seem to really fit with the article. Why did you bring that up? David brings in biases. And we all do. Nobody comes into an article or anything, a discussion, a podcast, a video, neutral. We all bring in biases. David's biases will become clear as we go through the article. Rich, did you want to say something? I'm sorry. I just wanted to include with what you were saying we also have to look at the source material. Yes. In this case, we are pulling from a media outlet that is, quote-unquote, and I'm doing air quotes with my fingers, quote-unquote, a journalistic media outlet that claims to be Christian but embraces sexual immorality in the form of homosexuality. 
and I'm not just making an unsubstantiated claim. You can look and type in the word gay or homosexual, and you will get pages upon pages of articles where they are reporting about what's going on within the homosexual community, how this church is embracing, how this church is doing this. As Christians, in a Christian perspective, especially with how we react to material presented to us, we also have to look at the source. The Bereans went to the source, the Word of God, when examining what Paul told them, examining whether it was true or not. We have to always take everything back to the Word of God and examine it through the lens of Scripture, even with supposed media outlets, especially with supposed Christian media outlets. We have to examine the source material, because if the source material is coming from a presupposed position, you can rest assured that anything they put out is going to be based on that presuppositional stand that they have. In this case, with BNG, Baptist News Global, they're coming from a position to where they embrace egalitarian. My, my mouth just went completely <laughs> blank. Egalitarian. Support, yeah, and support feminism in all its forms, and they support the LGBTQ agenda. And, you know, you have other outlets like... Uh, Baptist News Network, I think it is, and some others. Even then, even then, you've got to examine what they think, what they believe, what the author thinks, what the author believes, where that author is coming from. There's a lot you have to take into consideration. And then you take all that information, you go to the Word of God, you read the material, and you dissect it to see if it is coming from a biblical perspective or if it's coming from a fleshly perspective with a deceitful agenda. Does that Amen. make sense, brother? Absolutely, absolutely. And again, it goes back to what we said. You have to engage the material you're reading, and that means learning. That means asking questions. That means doing a little extra homework. Most people today aren't doing that, especially with, with social media, blogging, videos, podcasts. We are consumers. We just take it in and... We just download it and, and think, okay, now I know the answer. And I, I'll give you a really good example of that. Um, John Harris, who is, uh, I think he wrote the uh, book uh, Social Justice in the Church or something like that. I, I forget. Sorry, John. He had read Julie Royce's article on John MacArthur's church and the, and the, the issue that happened 20 years ago with a woman whose husband later was convicted of, of, a, of abuse charges. He read the article and thought, oh, this is terrible. So he had the immediate reaction that Julie Royce and everybody wanted. Then he did homework. And he's got a two-hour video. If you, know, you can go online and just look up John Harris, Julie Royce, John MacArthur, and you'll find the video. And he goes through all the material that's publicly available that Julie Royce refers to and discovers that Julie Royce... Yeah, she reported facts, but she condensed a lot of things and kind of ignored some other things and made it sound really, really bad as compared to, yes, it was a bad situation. However, it appears there was more than what Julie talks about that was going on. And that's what David Bumgarner's done here. So we're going to go through the article. And this is going to take a little bit. See, please take 
sit down, get comfortable, pay attention, and uh, you know, feel free to take notes. But I want you to do some homework, okay? So I, the, I want you to take notice of how this article starts. I'm not going to read the whole article, but I want you to take notice of how this article starts. Okay, two sentences. Jennifer Buck, wife of outspoken Southern, Bast uh, Southern Baptist pastor Tom Buck. Stop right there. What is the first thing he says about Tom Buck? That he's an outspoken Southern Baptist pastor. Okay, just uh, make a note of that. Continuing. Has published her story of being mistreated and misunderstood, perhaps even abused, in her in her mar early in her marriage, <coughs> excuse me, to communicate to other couples God's ability to bring about repentance, restoration, and reconciliation. In an article published by the Conservative Calvinistic Network, make note of what he just referred to, Calvinistic Network. Remember what Rich said about Baptist News Global. They're framing something here. Tom is outspoken. The article was published on a Calvinistic network known as G3 Ministries. She tells of being slapped on the wrist and enduring her husband's, quote, bitter, bitterness, angry, and shouting, end quote, in the first five years of marriage. Now, I want you to pay attention to something. He has immediately framed this article in a certain light. When I say you can report the facts and lead people to a predetermined conclusion, this is what I'm referring to. He didn't say Jennifer Buck, wife of a Southern, Bast a Southern Baptist pastor, wrote an article that was put, published on G3 Ministries about the troubled early years of her marriage, yet God's, you know, but in her desire was to pro, uh, demonstrate how God healed that. He didn't say that. He focused on certain things. Yes, he does say, he does quote her in referring to God's ability to bring about repentance, restoration, and reconciliation. I agree, he does say that. But, He's already, uh, in these first two sentences, he's put the bookends, he's put up the guardrails of how you'd view the article. Okay? She was mistreated, misunderstood. And then the little dash lines, so that it's highlighted in the center, perhaps even abused early in her marriage. And then how she endured bitterness, anger, and shouting. And that she was slapped on the wrist. He And, it, and by the way, this was pu published on the Calvinistic website G3 Ministries. David Bumgarner didn't just report facts. These are all factual statements. They absolutely are, but they are framed in a certain way. He has already put up the guardrails for the path that you're supposed to walk down. You have to ask the question, why is he making a note of this? Why is he referring to it that way? It could be that this is his writing style, but your writing style can convey what you're trying to do. And he's already establishing the path he wants you to walk down. <clears throat> now, as we go down this article, I want you to keep that in mind. So he also has framed a Jennifer article with in that um, in by making it clear that this is an article about abuse. Okay? Yes, it's about repentance, restoration, and reconciliation, but he made it twice, twice he states this is about abuse. So again, your what's your immediate focus? Tom is outspoken, but Tom has mistreated and perhaps abused her and has slapped her wrist and uh, was bitter and angry. You are framed to already look at Tom as an abuser. So almost immediately 
into the article. Um, you know, the first, the first several paragraphs kind of encapsulate what the article talks about. Okay, uh, Jennifer's article, I should say. Let me clarify that. The the first five art, uh, paragraphs, I think five or six paragraphs, which are like one or two sentence paragraphs. Um, it just bugs me. And I remember in school, they made us write four to five sentence paragraphs. Now we write two sentence paragraphs. Um, but he, he does a quick encapsulation of the article. One thing he does make sure is that he points out that Jennifer referred to the, the confidant that she personally, when she first went to, that was, you know, when she first starts getting help, she, he makes a, uh, uh, Bumgarner makes a point of addressing the fact that Jennifer wrote that, uh, her confidant never suggested divorce as an option. Okay. But she clarifies, you know, that Dottie made sure she was not being physically harmed. He does make sure to include that. That's an, also an important point as we go through this article. He's making sure you pay attention to that. So he does encapsulate it. He points to the very troubling statements, the the, the areas where she said that she was worried that if that she would emotionally survive if there remain or their uh, if their marriage remain remain intact that. Uh, that Tom had an anger issue, things came to a head, he, he had slapped her, and that he repented of his anger and restoration didn't happen overnight. So he he does quickly encapsulate the article. I give him credit for that. But I think even in that, there are notes that he's playing towards something else. It's after his initial encapsulation of Jennifer's article where we begin to see what I believe is David framing the article in earnest. And that's where he jumps to the rough draft. When he goes to this, he, he um, transitions to this existence of a rough draft, that there was an earlier version of the article that was circulated. Now, first and foremost, that's a question we should ask ourselves. Yeah, why are you talking about a rough draft? Everybody has a rough draft. At least most of us do. Some of us type stuff out and it comes out perfect and I, I don't know, I don't understand you people. But... <laughs> Everybody has a rough draft. Why are we focusing on the rough draft? That's a question you need to ask yourself. Why? Why are we talking about the rough draft? So that's questions not brought up. It's not addressed in this article. It's not addressed. Nobody asks why there was a rough draft or why he doesn't address why they need to discuss it. But he does discuss the rough draft and its circulation. Goes right into the fact, the fact that the rough draft existed. And he makes clear that the article that was circulated to them and other news outlets prior to the publication of the final draft. So Bumgarner's making a point of telling you this rough draft existed. It came out in 2018. It's been given to other news outlets, including us. Why? What why are you why are you addressing this? What is the point of addressing this? He doesn't go into that. He then implicates in the article that Tom is responsible for the events that led to Willie Rice jumping out, uh, dropping out of the uh, Southern Baptist Convention race. And when he, uh, when he, what he does is he says in this article, he says the draft uh, uh, earlier draft reportedly was shown to a few people, one of whom le apparently leaked it to the media in an attempt to discredit Tom Buck, pastor of First uh, Linda, uh, First Baptist Church of Lindale, Texas. About the same, and then he goes on saying, about the same time, unnamed pastor from another state launched a chain of events that caused the Florida pastor Willie Rice to drop out of the presidential race. 
two sentence statement that says somebody had this, somebody's trying to discredit Tom. Oh, by the way, at the same time, Willie Race dropped out because of a pastor from another state. What's the implication? That Tom is the one responsible for Willie dropping out. What, why is this being addressed? Why are you including this in the article? Why are you making it uh, an, an important issue to, to address? Ask questions. So then he drops the bombshell about this existing, uh, this, this rough draft that came out in 2018. And he says, quote, The accounts in the 2018 draft and the article published by G3 differ vastly in content, detail, scope, and length. Did you catch that? It vastly details in content, detail, scope, and length. Rich, if I tell you, wow, you know, I have two articles in front of me. And they both talk about abuse. One of them says this much about the abuse. The other differs vastly in content, scope, and length. What would you assume? Well, what would I assume? Or yes. What would a normal person what, what, what would a, what would a nor uh, Taking all of this away, if you just simply say a one-sentence statement, I have two articles. Uh, one is the rough draft. One is the final draft. The final draft says this about the uh, the abuse, but the rough draft differed vastly in content, detail, scope, and length. What would your immediate assumption as just an average reader be? Well, more than likely, you would draw the assumption that the rough draft was the accurate one and the released one was trying to hide facts that were in Thank the you. rough draft. Thank you. And that's exactly my point. Nothing in this article, and I went back to this article. There have been no updates to this article. It is the same article I read on April 11th. When I sat down and made notes yesterday and looked at it again, it's not changed. David Bumgarner says nothing, not a single word about the differences in the two articles, about what the details are. This hey, is brother. extremely important. Go ahead. I just want to clarify, when I said normal person, <laughs> we all know that I'm abnormal in many, many, many ways. I was not trying to puff myself up, but saying I'm way below normal. So, go ahead. So, <laughs> I love you, brother. All right, so, but that is important. That is, that is an important statement to understand. When you have a rough draft in your hand, and you have the final draft, which has been released. And you say that they differ vastly in content, detail, scope, and length. And you say nothing about what those differences are. You are leading your reader to make a conclusion that something ain't right. You left out important details in the final draft. And I believe David did this on purpose. And the reason I know that is because Tom and Jennifer have released a statement. They have a video statement that talks about the differences. And guess what those differences are? They have absolutely nothing to do with the five years of their marriage that have to do with abuse. They do have to, there's a period that she refers to where I think in the rough draft, I think she said she used maybe the term narcissistic. And then the final draft, she used more biblical language describing what he did, which was which would be consistent with an, uh, what we would call a narcissist today. 
She refers to a period of where she had lost a lot of weight, but she makes clear in her statement on the video that had nothing to do with, you know, quote unquote abuse, but because Tom's diet at the time, which they didn't have a lot of money. So what he ate, she ate. And then the biggest details was that, and Tom and Jennifer say this in the video, it, it was information about areas of abuse they suffered in their lives prior to meeting one another. In other words, the really big juicy detail has nothing to do with the five years of their marriage except maybe setting the tone for what they would be like as they got older. Because we know if you've endured abuse or an abuse of home or something, and I'm not telling you what the details are because I don't have the rough draft. David does, but he's not telling you. But what we know is that those details have to do with things that happened in their early, earlier in their life before they came together, which may or may not have had the influence on how their early years of marriage played out. David says none of this. Now, what they've tried to hide behind, and you can see it in his editor's statement, is we didn't feel it was right to, uh, to release the information she herself had not given us approval. But you are more than happy to say that the two reports are extremely different. Okay, I have a question. Yes. Did David release the rough draft? No, and he still hasn't. Does he, does he state that he's actually read the rough draft, or is he just basing this article off of what someone else has told him it says in the first paragraph of this section buck's article was published by g3 ministries 11 days after an anonymous source close to the bucks contacted but baptist news global and other media outlets with an earlier draft of buck's article that was slated to be published uh pseudonymously in 2018 etc but BNG was able to confirm that the draft was authentic and written by Jennifer Buck in 2018. They have the article. They have read it. Okay. And they All confirmed right, it was legitimate. Yes. How did they confirm it was actually written by Jennifer Buck if they did not ask Jennifer Buck? Bingo. This is another question that's going to come up and one of the things that I wanted to talk about. See, they don't tell us what the differences are. They tell us that they have it. They tell us that they've read it. They tell us that they confirmed it's legitimate. They tell us that it's different. What they don't tell us is what the differences are. And they don't tell us why they don't talk to the, the actual author of the article either. See, the problem is, is that when we look at the public statement released by the Bucks in their video, when we look at the, uh, the uh, elders report from uh, First Baptist Church Lindale, we recognize that the details that are different really don't change Jennifer's article at all. But David made a point of making this one line, the, uh, an, an all-important statement, that the articles differ vastly in content, detail, scope, and length. If you don't address why those are different, you lead your readers to a specific conclusion. This is intentional. You can solve that by simply saying... There are differences between the two so, and, and, and details which at this point we have not had permission to release do not address additional things that happened during the, the, the first five years of marriage, rather some historical information. Guess what? You don't release any details, but you clarify what you mean. David didn't do that. Baptist News Global and, and, and the editor didn't make him do that. 
this is an intentional statement. You want readers to believe something, that there is an important reason why those two are different. You are setting the tone. Remember, he's already started the article by saying Tom Buck abused his wife. Tom Buck and his wife published this on a Calvinistic website. And now the rough dash is different. Is different. And by the way, that different, well, as, as we just re read a minute ago, uh, we'll read it again. He states in his article, that earlier draft reportedly was shown only to a few people, one of whom apparently leaked it to the media in an attempt to discredit Tom Buck. The, uh, the, the line that about the differences comes after that paragraph. This report exists. It's been circulated. It was going to be used to attempt to destroy Tom Buck. Rough draft was different. That's intentional. That's an intentional laying the path to get you to believe this article is damaging. This article could hurt Tom. This original article, the rough draft, is dangerous to Tom. That's intentional. That is not but accidental. you can't read it. You just got to take my word for it. Exactly. They're not going to tell you the details, but they sure are letting you follow the, uh, the, the line of bread trails that they're tracing for you. Okay? This is intentional. This is what I say. When I say you're reporting the facts, are these factual statements? Every one of them, yes. Every single one of these are factual statements. But they are organized in such a way and certain information left out so that you believe that this rough draft was secretly handed off to somebody because it was bad and it was given to media outlets to damage Dom. Baptist News Global got it. Oh, by the way, it's really different from the final product. That's a trail of breadcrumbs, folks. That's intentional. To, Go ahead. I'll have to add, because it just occurred to me, the way that they started this article, you know, backhanded slide comment about the Calvinistic network is almost a subliminal mm -hmm. attempt to link the word Calvinist with abuser, and if you adhere to Calvinist biblical doctrine, as Calvin wrote, not the new Calvinism that's flourishing today, and there is a difference, but he's trying to attempt to say that all these evil Calvinists are pro-abusers, and all of them are abusing women, and women are being held down and put down because, honestly, I don't know of any or very few that hold to the traditional Calvinist doctrines that are or that would actually be considered abusers. Do you? Yeah. No, I'm, I, I got to be honest with you, brother. I'm, I'm, I'm following the same path you are on that. <laughs> All right. Let's keep going. So go it, it the in this case, Bumgarner continues to move forward and talks about the effort to kind of threaten Tom online. He talks about how they received the article anonymously. And they also note that it appears that the, the person who sent it to them anonymously appears to be the same individual who made online threats to Tom via Twitter, uh, where in which those statements said that Tom should be disqualified from ministry. Uh, there was a, a Twitter account that is now you know, been kind of gone bye-bye. Uh, I think J.D. Hall scared him. <laughs> That's actually addressed in this article. But uh, the person... Hey, yeah, go ahead. One, one more thing before we get any further. 
and as you addressed it at the beginning about Janet Medford, who actually was a journalist, and this supposed journalism media outlet, whatever you want to call it or label you put on it, Journalism 101 teaches, one of the first thing it teaches is that you verify a source. The fact that they're using material from an, quote, anonymous source in itself shows their lack of any type of journalistic integrity to begin with. Yep, I agree. And that's the thing, actually, and, and Janet actually talks about that in the thread that uh, of questions that she gives David Bumgarner, and I'll share that with you guys. I, I want you to see these questions because they're, they're pertinent to what we're talking about here. That's exactly one of the issues. And it's one of the problems is that, you know, they say that this was an, uh, an anonymous source and that the Twitter account went down, uh, got closed up, and it appears, I think they even say that the uh, um, Gmail account went defunct. But if you have someone who is sending you material that you have to verify is true, it's important that you need to figure out who sent it to you because why does this person have it? Why are they sending it to you? What is the point of them sending it to you? What are you supposed to do with it? You, you know, Bumgarner makes a point that you know this was being sent out to other uh, news outlets for the purpose of attacking Tom Buck. So if you know that, and you know that he has something that he or she has something that they shouldn't have, why aren't you addressing that in your article other than to say? Yeah, it was sent anonymously, and we think it came from the same person who created the Twitter account, and these things have gone defunct. He outlines nothing about what their efforts were to determine who sent it, why it was sent, what was it, uh, the reason for sending it, and makes no effort to explain how they were able to verify it. None of that is addressed. This is extremely important information. You are given what is, seems to be some sort of bombshell article. You're able to verify it, but that's all you do? Why are you even addressing this? This, this should be a huge red flag to anyone who's writing hey, brother. something journalistically. Go ahead. I would like to point out also, by his own words, it was sent to multiple media mm -hmm. outlets. But obviously, BNG was the only one with the lack of discernment <laughs> or lack of any type integrity. of journalism training or journalistic integrity. It obviously, just based on his on, own words, these other media outlets just chose not to publish this. And in my opinion, probably because the source was anonymous, but yet BNG jumped all over it and was ready in a heartbeat to jump all over this and, and publish this and put it out, even though the source itself was anonymous. Yeah. I know of no journalist that would ever, ever, even CNN has source materials that they supposedly at least attempt to verify. I've never heard of any article posted that was provided by an anonymous source. Yeah. Either the source was actually anonymous or they're lying to cover up the source itself. Yeah. And and interestingly, like going back to Janet Mefford, she points out the ethics behind dealing with an anonymous source, why you would keep a source anonymous. If you, you know, if it doesn't meet a certain criteria, you don't keep that source anonymous. So there, you know, yes, it is possible to, you know, say, 
you know, a, a person who spoke on the condition of an anonymity said, but you would also have the, a way of if that issue ever came, because remember, things like libel, which is actually a, uh, a legal term for lying or di uh, attempting to lie about someone in print, is that's an actual civil suit that can be brought against you. So if you're going to say even on a condition of anonymity, you're still going to have the information about who that source is because if it has to be brought out to protect you or your organization or your news agency, you have to have that information. You don't just but take you did. don't just take information and public it publicly release it as a release by an anonymous source, but have no way to prove who the anonymous source is. But that's the thing. They didn't say that mm -mm. they were abiding by an anonymity. Oh, good grief. Somebody's slapping <laughs> my tongue is not working. Anonymity. <laughs> yes, they're not providing that. They're clearly stating the source was anonymous, meaning, in his own words, that the source was anonymous to him, yep. the one that wrote the article. There's a huge difference in the two things. There's a difference between keeping a source anonymous and a source being anonymous. Yeah, and, and, and they even you know go to the po point of saying the source who contacted BNG via the, excuse me BNG via an untraceable email. Okay, so why are you 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 have no way to verify the source? The email, according to you, is untraceable. The seems to be the same source. How did you figure that out? I'm curious. If you can't trace the email and you don't know who the anonymous source is, how do you know they're the same one that set up the Twitter account? Good point. Good point. You know, again, they're trying to make it, they're trying to distance themselves, but yet somehow they have this and somehow they're able to verify it. So they, they connect this Twitter threat uh, to an SBC resolution. Now, the interest, they found this interesting. Bumgarner takes this issue, this Twitter threat, this anonymous account, which says, uh, you know, it, they, they, the person, writes to Tom saying, did your wife fear she was not going to survive because of your reviews? Shouldn't you be disqualified from ministry? That's the anonymous Twitter account that eventually goes disappears. Bumgarner then refers to an SBC resolution that talks about <clears throat> uh, people who have histories of sexual abuse in their past are disqualified from holding an office of pastor. Now, to his credit, Baumgartner notes that uh, Jennifer's article never references sexual abuse. There's no uh, allegations of sexual abuse against Tom. But he again, anonymous source. We don't know where it came from, but we know the anonymous uh, source said that Tom should be disqualified from uh, from ministry. And by the way, here's an There's a resolution that actually talks about that, uh, but it deals with sexual abuse. So, by doing this, they they focused on the emotional and verbal uh, abuse that Jennifer describes in her article, but she never refers. She herself actually never refers to Tom as abusive, but describes what would be considered abusive. Baptist News Global connects the threat to a resolution that actually would actually have no application in this scenario somewhat to his credit he does admit it doesn't seem to apply but they're you they still continue to use the language that jennifer herself never uses about tom so what do we have we have 
the initial part of the article, which frames Tom as a, as a outspoken yet abusive pastor, that this article was written on a posted on a Calvinistic website, that it is a article that has di different content from its original source or from its original rough draft, that it, that it actually was being used in an attempt to. Uh, you know, basically attack Tom and and, and say that he was disqualified from ministry and points to a policy or a resolution within the SBC that doesn't fit what Tom, you know, did uh, in the early years of his marriage. Follow the trail of breadcrumbs. Uh, author of this article, David Bumgarner, is continuing to bring up and over again that Tom is abusive. Tom is a pastor. Tom was going to be blackmailed, essentially. Tom is accused of abuse that could have him disqualified from ministry. In the meantime, what's not happening? We're not talking about the details that are different. We're not talking about the anonymous source, other than to say that the anonymous source appears to have threatened Tom. We're not talking about how we... Uh, what efforts it went through to determine who the source was. We're not talking about how we verified the actual uh, the rough draft. None of this is discussed. But that that there's your trail trail of breadcrumbs all the way down to this. Well, someone even said that Tom should probably be disqualified. Baumgartner then transitions the article again, and he talks about um, Tom Buck himself. He points out that Tom is outspoken against abuse. That's no secret at all. Anybody following him on Twitter is gonna, you know, can see the things he's talking about. So why are we talking about Tom is outspoken against abuse? Um, you know, he he makes a point of saying that, uh, you know, quoting Tom several times in this one section that Tom has said that soft, effeminate men are the heart of abuse in the church uh, of abuse of women in the church. That real men don't stand by silent as women are ch and children are abused. Uh, that effeminate men are the biggest problem within the SBC. Over and over and over again, you know, in the course of four, four, four about five paragraphs worth of writing, pointing to. Tom is outspoken. Why are we bringing this up? Why are, why are we addressing this? Well, we've led a trail of breadcrumbs that, that Tom is an abuser and could and has been threatened to, uh, by someone to, that they believe he could be disqualified from ministry because of his abuse. Now, oh, by the way, did you know that Tom Buck is a very outspoken individual when it comes to the issue of abuse and has been very, very... Uh, you know, uh, vocal in saying, you know, effeminate men are causing the problems of abuse in the church and that, uh, um, you know, the, uh, the, what was when last month, Buck, uh, Buck said he wondered if Grant Gaines has any regrets of opening Pandora's box in the S upon the SBC when Ga uh, Gaines made a motion for independent investigation of the SBC's executive committee, mishandling, ab uh, alleged mishandling of abuse. So what, what is Bumgarner doing? He's spent half his article point painting the picture through the quote-unquote reporting of the facts and the absence of corroborating information or contextual information that actually would clarify what those points are. And now he transitions that, wow, Tom's very vocal against abuse. But yet Tom was an abuser. Tom was threatened with a rough draft. Tom, you know, it's been leaked in multiple places, but he's, he's outspoken. 
That's an effort to paint Tom as hypocritical. Again, this is all accurate information, but it's framed in a certain way. He's led a trail of breadcrumbs to the point where Tom was being threatened with the rough draft of this article, which we won't talk to you about, about his past abuse of his wife. But by, by golly, Tom is very vocal about uh, being against abuse. So as the article wraps up, I don't understand other than for an attempt to purposely leave you in a certain mindset why you would include this. I'm going to read these last three paragraphs. David writes, one thing that remains unclear is exactly what exactly the majority of churches and messengers in the SBC believe about pastoral qualifications, divorce, and the rela their relationship to physical and emotional forms of abuse beyond sexual abuse. Now, I want you to stop there for a second. Remember what, what he made a point of addressing earlier in the article, that Jennifer had said when she went to her confidant, who was helping her counselor through the early years of marriage, that divorce was never considered an option. Okay. She quotes, that is a direct quote from, you know, she never suggested divorce as an option, okay? Mind you, this wasn't a pastor, this wasn't a church, this wasn't elders, this was a discussion between two women, an older woman in the church and herself, as they were going through these difficult things, this woman, this older woman, never suggested divorce as an option. Remember, he made a point of addressing that. What does he say here? One thing that remains clear is what exactly the majority of churches and messengers in the SBC believe about pastoral qualifications, divorce, and their relationship to physical and emotional forms of abuse beyond sexual abuse. He's saying that, he points back and says, well, that, that one resolution only addresses sexual abuse. We don't really know what anybody in the SBC believes about whether a pastor should be uh, 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 qualified to minister if he's engaged in, in emotional or physical uh, abuse, whether divorce should be considered an option, etc. He's he's laying the foundation that there needs to be something more added to this resolution. Continuing the article, according to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, one in three women and one in four men have experienced some sort of some form of physical violence by an intimate partner. The NCADV also reports that victims often choose not to leave their abusive partners because of, quote, fears that the abuser's actions will become more violent and may become lethal if the victim attempts to leave. Unsupported friends and family and religious or cultural beliefs and practices may not support divorce or may dictate outdated gender roles and keep the victim trapped in the relationship, end quote. Contrary to the advice Jennifer Buck received from her mentor, Dottie, an SBC professor recently wrote, this professor has nothing to do with this particular article, that physical abuse is in fact grounds for divorce. Mind you, Dottie never said you can't divorce your wife. In fact, David makes a, does note that Dottie actually made sure that Jennifer was physically safe. She never counseled okay, her. I, she never counseled her about never, you can never divorce. Go ahead. I have a, I have a question. That professor, mm -hmm. is that professor a Christian or a secular psychiatrist? Also, I find it interesting that he made it a point to point out outdated gender roles. Mm -hmm. That's that's very, very important to pay attention to that. That speaks volumes of where he stands when it comes to equality in marriage and 
God-given roles for men and women, yeah. outdated gender roles. Mm-hmm. And he's referring to the NCADV, which is a secular organization. And he and I'll explain why I think he he put this in here. But he then transitioned, and it's Jared C. Wilson, who's the uh, uh, assistant professor for pastoral ministry at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, Spurgeon College. He quotes from this individual. So this person ostensibly should be a Christian if they were a pastor at a seminary, Spurgeon College. The quote says, It is reasonable to assume that the Bible allows divorce on grounds of sexual immorality or abandonment, and that, by implication, there is a limited range of activity, including abuse, pornography use, that may qualify as either or both of the above. In short, sexual or other physical abuse of one spouse is sexual immorality and thus biblically permissible grounds for divorce. And that's the article just dead ends right there. There's nothing more after that. So what's happening here? David is attempting to connect the article, the, the remember the, the final article, the one that's released on, on G3 Ministries, outlines what happened in the first five years. It outlines that Tom, in fact, and, and, and by the way, this is not secretive information. Tom and Jennifer have used this in counseling sessions and spoken to people in the church about this. It is not secretive information. It is known information. Okay, He is drawing a connection between that uh, completed article using the rough draft as a comparison to say, mm, there's something more going on here, using an anonymous source's comment about hmm, you shouldn't be qualified for ministry since you abused your wife, leaves a whole lot of things unsaid and doesn't give any context to the 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 rough draft of the report, doesn't make any effort to, to reveal who the anonymous source was, whether this anonymous source was making unsubstantiated comments or any of these things, makes a passing reference to the fact, well, Jennifer's article doesn't say anything about sexual abuse, and then ends it with this thing about divorce, the not being and being told you can't divorce, and that could leave a person trapped in marriage, and therefore they they could get hurt even more or even be killed. And by the way, if you're counseling people, they shouldn't divorce in in, in an emotional or physical abuse situation. You actually could be violating scripture. Okay, so. It, they, you know, he's noting that the SBC has a policy regarding sexual abuse, but says they don't have enough. He cites secular statistics and argumentation, as Rich, you just pointed out. One of the things is, well, uh, religious, cultural beliefs or outdated gender roles could keep a person there. So he's not referring to a biblical argument. He's referring to a secular argument that is making statements about divorce that are not biblical in nature and referring to those biblical beliefs as outdated. And then um, and, and it connects that to how, well, if we don't tell people they can be, they can divorce an abuser, they could be trapped and they could get worse. And he connects it to one line in Jennifer's article, which was that the, that the older woman never brought up divorce as an option. And then he and goes to me, the, Oh, sorry, go ahead makes me wonder why he went out of his way to point out the fact 
that that older woman never mentioned divorce, but then he spends two paragraphs basically trying to defend the subject of divorce when it comes to emotional abuse. Yeah, and I think the reason is, is that he's trying to frame Jennifer's article as to say divorce should never be considered an, an option. That was never her argument. It was never her argument. When you read the article, which you clearly state, see, is that when her friend Dottie begins to counsel her and actually talks about Tom is sinning, this is wrong, Tom shouldn't be doing that, she makes sure that Jennifer is physically safe. So why doesn't she bring up divorce? Because at that point, Tom had sinned in his, as some husbands and wives do. And by the way, you know, husbands can be victims of verbal abuse as well as women can be. That was one of the, if you want to play that game of, of citing secular, uh, you know, statistics, by the way, David, yeah, men can fa fall on that position too. Um, she made sure that Jennifer was safe. And in Jennifer and Tom's video, she makes a point of saying she actually had an exit plan, as she puts it. So there's nothing about Jennifer's article that should be con framed as considering that what they're trying to say is you never divorce an abuser. That was never the case. But David adds three paragraphs at the end saying, yeah, but you know, if we don't tell them they can divorce, they could be in a worse situation. Was never the point of Jennifer's article. That's the problem. David is not addressing what Jennifer actually said. <clears throat> He's implying by the inclusion of this, uh, these last three paragraphs that what people like Tom and others believe is that you could never should be able to divorce an abuser. And by the way, the SBC needs to update its policy to even include he shouldn't have been allowed to become a pastor and she should have been able to divorce him. Things that were never the intent of the article. But he includes them there. Now, that's the bulk of the article. I got a few more things to say, but Rich, I want to give you a chance to talk before I go into that. But I want you to well, see what happened here. This, These are all factual things. And they were laid out in a specific... Honestly, the thing's a mess. I, I swear, if you gave it to an English professor, it'd probably get an F. But he laid it out with very obvious trail of breadcrumbs to lead you to a particular belief. Tom is disqualified because he abused his wife. The the uh, the existing resolution about whether you can be qualified for a pastor needs to be updated. And by the way, she should have been able to divorce him. That is the trail of breadcrumbs that he led his readers down. Go ahead, brother. I'm sorry. I was just going to say that this, as well as when you're reading scripture, you need to always remember to ask who, what, when, why, and where. And I could go into depth on each of those topics as it pertains to this article. We've already mentioned the media outlet and what it believes and holds to. Um, this is written by a young man, and I unashamedly call him wet behind the ears because Based on my calculations, he's about 21, 22 years old. Yes, young people can add and contribute to a conversation, but when it comes to the issue of marriage 
and these topics. He is coming from no place of authority. He's coming from no place of experience of his own. He's more than likely parroting what someone is telling him to write. No, I have no proof of that. That is just my own opinion. But all of these things need to be taken into consideration because when you put something like this out for everyone to read, and as we've seen, people have jumped all over this, whether for the article, against the article, jumped to conclusions and started accusing the Buck family of improprieties. You have people that are reactionary instead of stopping to take the time and ask these questions and dig into it and analyze it with a clear mind as to what's really being said and going on. Mm -hmm. Sadly, most people are ready to jump to conclusions, whether right mm -hmm. or wrong, based off of an article written and put out just because this quote unquote media outlet has some followers. As far as I know, they have no print magazine or anything else. They have a website with different authors posting quote unquote articles on it, but there's no real form of journalism in this particular article. It's written by a very impressionable young man who has no life experience, who, according to everything I've read, he's never been married. He is in his first or second year of seminary. He's not a pastor. He's not had experience counseling other people. He's not had experience as being a pastor. And really and truly, in my opinion, this young man needs to sit down, shut up, open his ears, and spend more time reading his Bible and spend less time trying to be a quote-unquote journalist on some pro-gay liberal website. Amen. Period. Amen. Okay, so why do we take time to go through all this, and why are we making the asser assertion that this is a hit piece? Well, let, let's kind of recap. From the start, Bumgarner's article frames things in a certain place in a, in, with a certain spotlight. He starts with Jennifer being was uh, he starts it off as Jennifer was reportedly the victim of emotional, uh, physical, and verbal abuse. That her ar initial article, the rough draft, contained substantially different material. That that different article was attempted to be used in a, ma a manner to attack or blackmail Tom. That the new article and that the finished draft was published at a Calvinistic outlet. Again, a tip to the nod. This is by trying to say that this is a questionable place to put it, and as Rich said, potentially even connecting Calvinism to you know the the the, the big debate is that. Reformed thinking and patriarchal or complementarianism is a place rife for physical abuse. Right? We hear this all the time. What does he? What does he do? Makes sure that you know that this was published by a Calvinistic outlet. Um, implies that the that Jennifer's article counsels against divorce as an option. Never does. And that he attempt the article attempts to frame Tom as a hypocrite by comparing his public statements to what happened uh, in Jennifer as the, the, the things that happened as noted in Jennifer's article. So these are all the things that he's framed by reporting the facts. Then there are certain things that the article never does. It never asserts if anyone attempted to verify the rough draft. They say that they have verified it, they, but they never assert how that it's done. They never tell you how they got that verification. 
we now know the rough draft does did exist. Um, that's come out because of the statements from uh, Tom, Jennifer, from the elders of the church. But Baptist Global News never shows this in their uh, it shows any effort in their article to determine how much of it, if any of it, was true. Um, a journalistic ethics would demand that not only they they demonstrate that they've attempted to verify its veracity, uh, but they'd be that they'd be able to back that up. They make one line they they that we verified it. How that's not addressed. Um, a hit piece doesn't have to make an attempt. A hit piece doesn't have to establish the pattern of attempts to verify the information. It it just quotes it as if it's gospel. That's what a hit piece does. That's what he did here. Um, he, they, the article does not explain if there was any attempt to track down the anonymous source. Um, doesn't, you know, they don't try, try to determine why the anonymous source was giving it this, this article to them. They don't determine who the anonymous source is. They don't determine how the anonymous source came by it. None of it's addressed. The article only asserts that they have possession of it and implies that, um, I should say this implies that BNG or Baptist News Global isn't really interested why the rough draft is being circulated around or why it's being used in this nefarious fashion. They just care that they have it and it it's juicy. That's really what they're doing here. Uh, they make. I'll add, go ahead. I just wanted to add before you get any further, when you were talking about they did not verify about the anonymous source or how the anonymous source got mm -hmm. it, which means they did not verify that the anonymous source obtained the rough draft illegally, mm -hmm. which would make them liable in a court of law if they use stolen material via hacking or some other means <laughs> to obtain that rough draft. If they have, had used an illegally obtained document, they would be held liable as well. They never, according to their article anyway, they never went through all of those steps. And that's part of being a journalist is to make sure that your source is all is reliable, truthful, mm -hmm. and that the source did not obtain the information illegally as far as I understand. What about you? I, I, I agree with you. And I, and I think that goes back to the journalistic code of ethics that Janet Mefford refers to in her, her line of questions to David. Um, they simply assert they verified it. Now, I'm not saying that they didn't verify it at all. I'm simply saying they never make any effort to demonstrate that they did. And they never answer the questions that you bring up. That, that how did this come about? Why does this person have it? How did they obtain it? None of that is addressed. Okay, so when you say you're just reporting the facts, you've left a wide swath of the information out. You've certainly made sure to point out, well, look at the bad things that happened, and, and man, wow, look at the implications of this, and, and man, this could mean that, they're, that, 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 that the SBC needs to address this. But you've never addressed the big, one of the biggest elephants in the room is who had it, why did they have it, how did they get it, and why are you being given it? None of this is addressed in the article. None of it. They only say that the person who circulated it appears to have been a threatening Tom. Well, it would seem to me that that's a pretty important information, but very little time is spent on that other than to make it kind of draw as the trail of bread comes to show that, wow, this looks really, really bad. Now, I'll say this again. Baptist News Global made no effort to explain the differences between the roughed and completed drafts. 
We know because of what Jen and Jennifer and Tom released in their video, and we know from the FBC elder statement that those differences had really more to do with Tom and Jennifer's life before they got to know each other, and some de details that were kind of add-on details about those first five years. Things like use you know the things like Tom was on a low-fat diet. And they didn't have a lot of money. And because of that, she ate the same foods that he ate. And that was part of the reason she lost a lot of weight. That's in there. But that really doesn't have anything to do other than some of her weight loss may have been as a result of the stress, as she states in the video. But it's not because she's losing weight because Tom's done something terrible to her. And she, I think in the rough draft, she says, apparently refers to it the, as narcissistic, where in the final draft she uses, as she states in the video, biblical language that describes what he did that people would associate with narcissism. So no difference, just different language. And they make no reference to any of this. They simply state that there are differences there. They make no effort to delineate the difference. And it makes it look like the early years of the marriage were described in worse uh, in a worse scenario in the rough draft. In other words, we say the rough draft exists, we say it's different, we leave it at that. You as a reader conclude, wow, there must be more that, that she didn't put in the final draft. They make no effort and, and they try to hide behind, well, we didn't feel it was appropriate to publish this without her permission. Well, here's the interesting thing about that. Bumgarner and Baptist News Global never reached out to Tom or Jen, not once. In an article where they address both the author of the uh, rough and final drafts, Jennifer, and the object of their hit piece, Tom, they never bother to go and attempt to contact them to learn their side of the story. Now, if you've paid attention to social media, there is an individual by the name of, um, oh, her name escapes me, i got to look it up again, but she was one of these individuals that had, was a real... Uh, was real big on the whole, uh, you know, let you can't dox people on Twitter. That's dangerous. Uh, it hurts people, etc. Uh, let's see if I can find her name again. Uh, da, 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 da. No, I don't see it. Um, anyway, but this was the uh, the author of an article about the TikTok, or excuse me, the uh, Twitter account libs of TikTok, and um, her. Oh, Taylor Taylor Lorenz. She is a. Um, she is a writer for Washington Post. She's a column. She she went on this big rant about how doxing people online is dangerous and how it how it's damaged her and the whole nine yards. But then she turns around and doxes um, libs of TikTok. One of the things that even she did was actually attempt to reach out to the person who who anonymously ran the account libs of TikTok, and we know this because she reached out to the wrong person, and that. That uh, <clears throat> online message, that email got posted online. We know that she went door knocking and actually kind of harassed the actual owner of the Twitter account. She harassed their family. So even an unethical and subpar journalist <laughs> like Taylor Lorenz knows that you have to go out and make contact with the people you're going to write about. She made that effort. She may have made a token effort, but she made the effort. In this case, David Bumgarner never did. He never reached out to the people he was writing about. 
And by not asking Jennifer about the differences in her articles, he bypasses the need to explain why she had those differences and why the rough draft would have it versus the final draft didn't. That explanation could actually create an entirely different narrative. By not interviewing her, they don't, they're free to craft the narrative that they want written. David, by not actually going to the source herself, doesn't have to include any explanation by her that would mitigate what he's trying to draw you, your, how he's trying to draw your conclusion. By not interviewing Tom, he can't get a statement about why he acted in his uh, he did in his early years, uh, what he did or didn't do, whether he felt they they don't ask him whether he thinks a divorce is allowable in these circumstances. He they don't ask him to clarify his public statements versus what he's done. They don't ask him about whether he's ever talked about this before. They don't ask him about how this issue was addressed as an early Christian. Uh, in his early Christian years, early excuse me, early marriage years as a Christian, going to school and seminary, they don't talk about any of that. Why? Because he never talked to Tom. His input is never sought. So you can't, you, you know, you you can paint the uh, picture that you want of what he once was and what he's currently said, and you get to craft the narrative. If you include Tom's statements and you get clarification, you are less free to craft the narrative you want. Because if you interview him and he gives you direct answers and then you only pick the answers you want, Tom can now say, that's not what I said. But if you don't interview him, you don't have to worry about what he said. And you don't have to worry about picking and choosing the statements you want. You just get to post what uh, you say is public information. The sad part is that even... When all this came out and people went after <laughs> the people went after David Bumgarner that could because he had blocked three quarters of Twitter, he says, "I'm not saying anything. Uh, I've talked to my editor. He's gonna he's gonna release a statement." Well, the editor did le release an opinion piece on Baptist Glo uh, News Global's website, and he just reiterated, "This isn't a hit piece. We're just reporting the facts." and um, you know, you know, we're not going to take it down. You don't like it, that's too bad. That's basically what it. Well, they did indeed report facts, but they left a great many facts out. A lie of omission is still a lie. Okay, when you omit information, you know will mitigate what you're reporting. You are you are still lying. You are still acting unethically. It is journalistic malfeasance. Okay, I think I've used that word twice now. <laughs> I guess I like the word. The, it, what it boils down to is you can report facts in such a way that you lead the reader to make certain conclusions. And I, and I, say, I, I tell you again, I'm going to give you some more homework. Go look up the video that John Harris did on Julie Royce's article about John MacArthur. It's a two-hour video. Look, you've been with us for an hour and 42 minutes. You can watch the video. Just break it up in chunks. But he shows you what Julie Royce didn't do, the, the, the details that she left out and how she compacted information. Okay, you can do that. You can lead people to a certain conclusion. That's what Julie Royce did. That's what David Bumgarner's doing. If all you have to do is craft the facts in a certain pattern, and you can leave out certain information, you don't have to make specific allegations. Now, Julie Royce went and really made some specific allegations, but David doesn't have to do that. 
he could just say, all I did was report the facts, but boy, he's left you a, pro uh, a trail of breadcrumbs to go right where he wants you to go. He did, all he has to do is provide the necessary facts and leave out any mitigating material. Now, I want you to, I'm going to pull this up real quick. Um, in his final statement on the matter, David Bumgarner makes a point of, and I'm trying to find it here. Um, if you bear with me. But he, um, in, in, the, in the second screenshot that uh, Janet Mefford shares, he says, while no reporter can be entirely objective, I believe I did the best I could with the information I had in the context in which I had to tell a difficult story that needed to be told. Why was it difficult? Why did it need to be told? Hmm, interesting. And for what it's worth, I was the first person who noted that there is apparently a person or person still unknown to me, deeply dissatisfied with the Bucks, who sought swift retribution for the Willie Rice incident. I find, also find it comical that the people who have uh, people have forgotten that I followed Rice's public response to the Deacon incident rather closely. No one from Calvary takes my calls anymore, apparently because they did not like the way in which I presented the pertinent information in my reports. This is all tied to the Willie Rice issue. And, and I think it's in the first page, and I can't find it now. He actually... Uh, he actually refers to the fact that he went did this even though he doesn't have a personal problem with Tom. Uh, oh, the decision was mine to write, mine alone. The decision to publish and verify what I had written was the decision of my editor and my editor alone. I also felt that Buck, the Buck piece was newsworthy in view of the rhetoric that was employed within it, especially given the broader context of SBC's intensive reckoning with abuse and the ongoing discussions about divorce pastoral qualifications. My desire was not to attack their marriage, as has been claimed, but to draw a public attention to their rhetoric. Okay, so he is, you know, he's pointing out that Tom, he sees Tom as being hypocritical. He sees Tom's involvement in Willie Rice's uh, incident, and now he's the victim. Okay. Um, he is trying to craft a particular view of Tom. He believes that Tom has dangerous rhetoric. His article points to the fact that it even sounds like that um, that uh, divorce is is being counseled is not an option. Uh, he he redresses this in his statement. Uh, in the article, I mentioned that her mentor ensured Jen was not being physically harmed, although I found it noteworthy that Jen felt compelled to mention that her mentor never suggested divorce is an option. This is a theological position that I noted is disputed. So he's he's purposely trying to paint himself as a bit of the victim, but is actually still trying to defend what is crafted as an assault upon Tom, an assault that's drawn out because he thinks the rhetoric that Tom uh, uses is bad, uh, that he thinks that the the issue of uh, whether she should have been counseled to be divorced was questionable. And that this all revolves around the issue involving Willie Rice. Why is all this important? Because as Christians, we, you know, I'll go back to the Julie Roy's article, John Harris, you know, a man who took a lot of time to go through uh, her article, 
said the first time he read her article, he's like, this is terrible. What uh, John MacArthur and the, the church did is terrible and something needs to be done. And then he took time and he asked questions and he did the research, he did the homework and it put a huge question mark on his initial statement about what uh, was it as bad as Julie Royce tried to pretend, uh, project it to be. The Baptist News Global article is a hit piece. It doesn't have to say we think Tom Buck's a terrible person. It paints the picture by giving you the breadcrumbs to follow and neglects to, uh, to delineate the differences between the two articles in detail. It doesn't and talk to the people that were involved. It doesn't give you clarification and genuine context about these things. But boy, they sure rushed it to print because they had, they had something hot and juicy in their hand and it sure would make Tom look bad. And Christians, we get manipulated by these things. We, If we are not a culture of people that ask questions of the content that we read, we don't see the clear efforts to lead us to a certain conclusion. I said at the beginning, nobody comes into a, a, a work completely without bias or without an attempt to persuade. We, are gonna, we have spent nearly two hours talking about this article. Why? We want you to see that what uh, that David Bumgarner did and what uh, Baptist News Global did was an attempt to attack a pastor and, by extension, his wife because they don't like him. And they had something hot and juicy they felt that they could attack him with. But they did it in such a way as that they could kind of lift up their hands and go, we didn't do anything wrong. We have attempted to persuade you. I don't have a problem with that. I'm telling you. I, I have come into this with the intent to persuade you that this article is bad. That's my attempt to persuade you. David Bumgarner is trying to claim he didn't. David Bumgarner is trying to say, I just wrote an article that's about facts. But everything he shared on his own uh, personal Twitter account is a regurgitation of the survivor community which says, terrible, bad pastor, he needs to be disqualified in his own statements that pastors with past abuse shouldn't, uh, in their history of any kind shouldn't be in, in uh, ministry. If you read an article like this and you don't ask questions of it, look, if you end up still coming to a conclusion that you think Tom is bad, fine, good, let's start discussing this biblically. Let's, let's discuss that theological issue. I would disagree with you, but we can talk about it, right? But if you just simply obtain that information, plug it into your brain, and then regurgitate the pre-programmed response, you just become like every one of those people we see during the whole COVID crisis, COVID bad, six feet distance, wear the mask, the whole, and all the people that we kind of pointed out, they were just kind of being drones, mindless drones. And I know that's going to offend some people who look at it differently, and I apologize, but I want to make a point. There are people that do not ask questions. They just simply take in and they regurgitate. And Christians, we can't be that way. We are supposed to be people who are people of truth. And the truth demands that we ask questions. You can't simply take an article at face value. You, you really never should. Don't take this podcast at face value. You may trust us. You may think we've done a good job with this, and, I, and I, I'm grateful you think so. You may hate us, and you may think we've done a terrible job. That's fine, too. But ask questions of what we, what we went through. And by the way, 
I would have loved to have replied to you know uh, David Bumgarner directly. I was blocked. So I used a different account and pointed out all the terrible things. And guess what happened there? I got blocked. Okay? So I did address these things publicly. His public statements, I responded to through the Theo, Theo Bros account. Theo Bros account's now blocked. <laughs> so, and I'm sure when we share this on the Voice of Reason radio account, that'll get blocked. <laughs> Ask questions. Why? What did you consider? Who did you reach out to? What, what efforts did you make? Janet Mefford has a you know numerous questions. You know, one of the questions: Why did you write about the Bucks using anonymous sources and an unpublished rough draft of Jennifer's story, yet neglect to interview either of the Bucks for your story? I have a question for him. I'd love to know what he means by outdated gender roles. Whether he means the roles of husband and wife, or the gender roles when it comes to same-sex marriages. Well, I think that's a quote from NCADV, the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. That's their quote. And I think when you look at it from a secular perspective, that they remember that the secular perspective in this world is marriage is just a contract and it can be between any two. And in some cases, apparently now people think three or four or five or six people. So their thing is, well, people are being trapped into relationships that are abusive and because of religious or cultural beliefs or outdated gender roles, that person finds themselves trapped in the relationship. But David quoted that from them as support for the idea that the Christian church ought not be telling women who are caught in abuse that they can't divorce, which was never the allegation of Jennifer's article. So it was an unnecessary connection to make to the article. He just simply, he says himself, well, I think it was worth noting, she made a point of saying it. She made a point of saying it because she wanted uh, people to understand that here was a woman that was concerned about their marriage and God's involvement in healing that marriage. So she didn't just run to her and say, by the way, divorce the guy. That's clear when you read Jennifer's article. David turns it into something more than it is. Well, there is one thing I will say about the author of this article on a personal note. You can learn a lot about a person by who they follow and who they retweet (laughs) and who they interact with on Twitter. And in his case, if you can get access and look through his feed, among others, you will find retweets and interactions between him and Julie Royce, Mm -hmm. among some other names that I'm not going to mention, but any of our listeners would be more than familiar with and the heresy that they carry with them. Yep. And that, and that's the, that's the, the sad truth about it. That's why I made a point of saying, what is he posting? See, well, I think one of the worst things, and I, Rich, I know you and I have both seen this. People will say, oh, John Doe on Twitter is a terrible person. Just look at the comments his followers make. Well, followers, I have lots of followers. I have over 5,000. And some of them say some things I don't agree with. That's going to happen. That doesn't mean I'm responsible for them. But when my followers make you know, X comment and I retweet it and like it and share it for others to read, I'm putting an endorsement behind that. So 
he may have people following him that are of questionable. He may now just following some some questionable people like Julie Royce. Look, I some of us follow people online because we want to keep abreast of what the heretic has said this week. That doesn't mean we endorse them. But if you interact positively with that person, if you share their their posts positively, you are endorsing things that they've said. You may not agree with all of it, but when you share something positively, you are putting a, a level of endorsement behind it. Okay, so that's what David's doing in this, and yet he's putting out a statement that he's kind of the victim in this. He he's law, People don't want to return his calls anymore. People are, are coming after him. This is the same guy that when people confronted him about blocking three quarters of Twitter, oh, well, I just blo blocked people that attacked me. Nobody had time to attack him. He pre-blocked tons of people. Including both of us. Yes. And I've never, to the best of my knowledge, I don't believe I've ever interacted with David Bumgarner. I, I, the name rings a bell. I remember his face. So it's possible I responded to a comment about something he said. I have to make that allowance because I kind of remember the name. I kind of, but I don't remember any specific interaction with him that would would have resulted in him going, "Wow, you're a terrible person. Block you." And when I and and I know Rich, you didn't even know this guy, and you're blocked. And we, I know tons of people that were blocked by this individual before the drop of the article because when the article dropped, that's when we all found out we were blocked. And he claims that the reason he blocked people was because he was attacked. I'm sure he blocked people after the fact, but he blocked a lot of people beforehand too. You have a website that is dedicated to social justice-minded support for LGBT and other stuff. They're given an article that they themselves say they verify, but don't explain how. They don't make any effort to determine where it came from. They make no effort to determine the, uh, to tell you the differences between the uh, the rough draft and the and the final product. And they they draw draw a, a trail of breadcrumbs to make lead you to leave Tom uh, Tom Buck is a terrible terrible person and shouldn't be in in his position. But they're the victims. This is why we need to ask questions. This is why we need to, to, to look at this stuff with more than just a simple, wow, that sounds bad. We should cancel this person. Christians, you can't do that. We are people of truth. And truth demands that we, we have a duty. If we are people of truth, we have a duty to determine what is actually true about the situation. And the sad truth about this, and what Rich and I were saying at the beginning of the show... There is, you know, if you read the article that uh, Servants and Heralds, is that what I said? Servants and Heralds puts out. There are people at higher levels within this that are responsible for making sure that article got into somebody's hands who then put it into the hands of Baptist News Global. And it is done so by Baptist News Global's own admission as an effort to attack Tom Buck. So you have higher ranking individuals within the Southern Baptist Convention looking for ways to attack the local church so that they can maintain the direction that they want to go. Not everybody involved is that. 
But you know, there are sins of omission and there are sins of commission. And there are people involved in this who know who was involved and don't want to say anything for fear that they'll get in trouble or for fear that somebody's name will be sullied or fear that they'll get caught up in the, uh, in, in the maelstrom. Too bad. I hate to say this, but too bad. You need to step up and you need to speak the truth. And there are people who committed acts. Maybe they never intended it to go this far, but they committed the acts of spreading that article and using it as a tool and, and making sure that people had it so they could use it as a tool against a pastor and his wife. It's that important, people. If you are not being diligent, if you are not using discernment, if you are not asking questions of the material coming across your newsfeed, you can be a tool in somebody's game of chess and you can be the one of the reasons that a person is attacked unjustifiably. Well, what if, what, what if Tom really did do something bad? Okay, what if Tom did do something bad? What is wrong with making sure you understand the totality of the circumstances before you make a public comment? Would it not be at least wiser to then say, okay, he did really bad things, and yeah, maybe he shouldn't be in that position, so let me articulate that accurately? Well, it needs to be responded to by you? By me? Yeah, I was very vocal because I consider these two people my friends. And when I watch someone with such a in, intended malice, in my opinion, do what he did, yeah, you're. I have a hard time being quiet. Doesn't mean that my immediate responses were needed or necessary. But we put this. I I I reached out to Rich and I said I want to do this one. This needs to be addressed. Because what has been done here and how it's being used and how we as Christians play into it, it's wrong. Now, I'm grateful that a great many people went after David Bumgarner to the point that, you know, you know, here we are two weeks later, he's still trying to defend himself. Good. I hope he blocks all of Twitter and he ends up in a very tiny bubble by himself. Maybe he'll think about it. What he's done is unacceptable. It is sinful. And he needs to repent. But he is a tool in a much larger game being played. And if we're not careful, we become pawns in that game too. Ask the questions. Stop consuming and regurgitating because we are all bad about it. We've all done it. I've done it too. And we have to ask those questions. For me, it's a little bit easier to do something like this. And I'm not trying to say that to pat on myself on the back. I just have had 23 years of experience dealing with report writing. So I know how to write a report and I know what goes into it, what doesn't go into it, and what I can't include if I can't back it up. So I have a little bit more experience in that. Some Not everybody does. So it's a little easier for me to say that. But you have some homework when this, when this program ends. I'm not saying you have to do it tonight, tomorrow, next week, but you need to start doing some research. If you read this article and you thought Tom was a terrible person, you need to do some homework. And let me just speak out to the survivor community. Look, some of you have gone through some really terrible things in life. I'm, I, I absolutely am heartbroken what some of you have gone through. 
I can tell you from my own experience, I've gone through things that I'm not going to talk to you about. There are things that happened to me in my, you know, in my early years. I ain't telling you a squat about it, but I know what abuse is. So I, my heart goes out to each and every one of you. But yet, this needs to stop being your identity. Your identity should be in Christ. And yet you're being used, willfully so, by people like David Bumgarner, Baptist News Global, and other people in an unbiblical and sinful manner. And you are jumping on board. So that you can say, I'm an expert in this area and you better listen to me and I know what this is. And I, I am heartbroken at what I've seen some of you do. One of you blocked me because I decided to stop following you because you were becoming toxic and I got into a long drawn out conversation with you. And because I felt it would be wiser to back off and, and just stop following you and took, the friend, took you off the friend list, I got blocked for it. Now, I don't care that you blocked me. That's your choice. Lots of people have done that. I don't care. That's fine. But if your identity is so wrapped up in being a victim that you can't hear people trying to speak to you biblically and you give in to shoddy, terrible, obviously uh, obvious attacks on a person and you're pulled into that because that just reasserts you're an expert in this area and you need to be heard, you need to rethink what you're doing. What you're doing is participating in sin. Now, I doubt any of one of you all have heard that because if you are listening, you probably turned me off the second I started talking about it. But if even one of you listens, stop and think about what you're being pulled into. You're being used as a pawn in a game of politics. Stop it. Repent. Not that I know that if Tom or Jennifer will hear this, but this is my my comment alone to you. I speak for no one but me. I consider you two to be some of the most godly people that I know in the short time that I've gotten to know you guys. What has happened to you is unconscionable. It is disgusting. And every person involved needs to repent. And I pray that what comes out of this is a greater testimony of God's providence in your life that surpasses even what happened in those first five years of marriage. May you guys continue to be a godly example. Do not let these fools destroy what God has worked in your life. To those who are involved in this, again, not that I think any of you will listen, or if you're listening to the program at all, what you have involved yourself in is deep, abiding, rot, and sinfulness. If you knew what was going on and you took no action because you were afraid of your reputation or afraid how it might impact you, you one day have to stand before God and explain your inaction. If you knew what was going on and you participated in it, even if it got beyond your control and you've said nothing or you've lied to protect names, you have to stand before God and explain this. If you are responsible 
for ensuring that a mm, the words I want to use um less than ethical journalistic joke of a website used material that you put into their hands to attack someone you don't like may God drop you to your knees in repentance how dare you how dare you may God cause you to repent now may your conscience be so afflicted that you can't get a moment's sleep or peace how dare you use God's institution in the way that you have? Whether the SBC is a entity that should be saved or perpetuated or burned to the ground or whatever you want to call it, it's not for me to decide. It's not for Rich to decide. That's God's decision. I know a great many people want to fight for it. I know a great many people have decided enough's enough. Y'all got to work that out between yourselves. You got to figure it out with God. But for those who would use this entity, who would use this denomination for their personal gain, this doesn't belong to you. It's not yours. It belongs to God. If you have taken his institution and you have sullied it so that you could get a seat at the table with the world, just remember God's going to hold you accountable for every act, every thought, every vile word, every deed done in darkness. Do not think that you will convince God you were working for the greater good. He knows your heart better than you. What happens now is that a lot of people within the SBC got a lot of questions to ask themselves. My prayer is not for political upheaval or change the direction or all the other things that need to happen. My prayer is that those who are neck deep in sin repent. Because I care more about what's going to happen to you when you stand before God than you do right now. May God forgive you. May you repent. May you turn to Christ in full repentance. Because to use an institution in this way is unconscionable and it is a deep abiding sinful act. And if you support this, if you have listened to what we've had to say and you're all, well, all this is terrible because Tom's a terrible person, repent. Because you're not even listening to what we tried to say. You don't have to agree with me. But if that is your attitude and I've seen some of you, Tom has been a terrible person for years and this is just his, he's getting his just desserts. Repent. You're slandering a man of God. He's got sins. And he's happy to tell you he's got sins. And he's happy to tell you what he's had to repent of. He's never hit them. But if you speak of him that way, repent. You need to. You need to get right before Christ. If you will slander a man because you don't like him, repent. Okay, that's my soapbox for that. Um...
I ju- ju- we spent a lot of time on this. I, I, I really appreciate your patience. We went out at this over two hours. Uh, we really need to let you guys go. But I we did this because I think it was really, really necessary to talk about how an article can be used to manipulate you. And it is your duty, your God-given duty to not be. And to question what's being said and why. I'm not saying you have to come to the same conclusions we have. I'm saying you have a God-given duty to the truth. And you need to ask those questions so you actually make sure what the truth is, not just regurgitate. So hopefully, hopefully we've accomplished that today. So, Rich, any last thoughts before we let everybody go? Well, I'd like to ask everyone to bear with me now for just a few moments. But regardless of which side of this debate, discussion you fall, I encourage everyone that's listening to the sound of my voice to examine yourself, to see if you're in the faith. Examine your walk in Christ. And I'm going to close with a few words from myself and from Spurgeon. I want to tell you, Christ loves you more than you love yourself. But the problem for many of you is you love yourself more than you love Christ. Now from Spurgeon, there are some who seem willing to accept Christ as Savior who will not receive him as Lord. They will not often state the case quite as plainly as that, but as actions speak more plainly than words, that is what their conduct practically says. How sad it is that some talk about their faith in Christ, yet their faith is not proved by their works. Some even speak as if they understand what we mean by the covenant of grace, yet alas, there is no good evidence of grace in their lives, but very clear proof of sin, not grace abounding. I cannot conceive it possible for anyone truly to receive Christ as Savior and yet not to receive him as Lord. Take the glass and look at the man's heart, and you will discern that it is loathsome because Satan and sin reigns there. Although the man goes about and has sufficient of what is, has sufficient of what is right and what is wrong to be uneasy in his sin, yet has he such an intense love of all manner of iniquity that he allows the loathsome demons to come and dwell in his heart. But his loathsomeness is worse than this, because all the while that he is really living in sin, he is a loathsome hypocrite, pretending that he is a child of God. Of all the things in the world that stink in the nostrils of an honest man, hypocrisy is the worst. If thou be a worldling, be a worldling. If thou serve Satan, serve him. If Baal be God, serve him. But mask not thy service of self and sin by a pretended service of God. Appear to be what thou art. Tear off thy mask. The church was never meant to be a masquerade. Stand out in thy true colors. If thou preferest Satan's shrine, say so, and let men know it. But if thou wilt serve God, serve him, and do it heartily, as knowing him who is a jealous God, and searcheth, searcheth the hearts and trieth the reins of the children of men, it is a terribly loathsome disease, this of a divided heart. If the man were but known, his disease is so loathsome, that the most wicked men in the world would have nothing to do with him. And this is for me now. Throw yourself on the ground and beg for the mercy of Christ. Plead for the gift of salvation, repentance, faith, belief, and grace. Do it today because tomorrow is not guaranteed. And whatever you do this week, make it a point to proclaim the biblical way of salvation at least once a day. Amen. Amen. Folks, I, I know it was a long show. 
I think it was necessary. Um, our hope in this is that we weren't just looking to dogpile on. Just look, it, it's a junk website. It's a garbage news website. Just where the word I'm going to call it. We weren't trying to do this to just be one more voice dogpiling on. We hope what we accomplished is to encourage you to be a more diligent reader and a more a person more concerned with the truth. Hopefully, we accomplish that. Maybe not everybody will agree with the uh, conclusions that we drew. I will say that I sent my notes to not only Rich but to somebody else. I'm not going to drop name drop or anything. Um, I wanted to make sure that the case that I was trying to make was logical and, and uh, that it's consistent. And I believe that you know Rich and myself and another the other person who looked through this, I think we were in agreement that this was this was making a, a positive case against the, uh, the 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 article itself and why and it was done not with malice although i'm not at all happy with the individuals involved in this but it was done because i am genuinely concerned about christians who read these things and get caught up in the mob mentality and so my hope is that this serves as an example and as a warning against being caught up in such things so Thank you for your time. We are looking forward to next week. Next week's going to be a much more interesting uh, podcast episode, I, I believe. Really looking forward to this one. Um, seven it. season. Yeah. Six season years. Season seven, episode one. I got it right. <laughs> and we are just, man, we are looking forward to this one. I, I can't wait. So, God willing, if nothing goes wrong, latter part of next week you guys are going to have i think you're going to have fun with this one so all right god bless you guys we are so appreciative for you have a great week go worship the lord with the the saints tomorrow spend the week deeply considering the things of god find someone to share the gospel with and whatever you do this week do it for the glory of god god bless you guys good night we'll see you next time